0: Good afternoon, football fans. It is Monday, October 5th, here on the Pro Football Chase podcast. Today, I have Bills Hall of Fame wide receiver Andre Reed joining me for an interview. Now, Reed has had an illustrious NFL career. He ranks near the top in nearly all NFL career statistical receiving categories. He went over a thousand yards. Four times in his 16-year career, among many other achievements. So, Andre, thanks again for taking the time.
3: How are you doing today? I'm doing I'm doing good today, Isaac. Thanks for having me on. And uh, you know what? It's funny how you look say all those numbers. I had four 1,000-yard seasons. Probably two two or more close to a thousand yards. And the game, we'll get into this probably. too. the game has changed so much. Uh, if I would be playing in today's games. Uh, Today's game, I probably would have had at least three or four thousand more seasons. (laughs) Yeah. Thousand yard seasons.
0: That's a perfect segue. We're going to go ahead and kick off the interview on that because I am really curious to hear your take on this. We know in today's NFL, it almost seems like referees, in a sense, are protecting receivers a little bit more. I mean, any little nag on the jersey is a penalty. It's holding pass interference, and I guess it can go both ways. Also on corners who tend to play a little bit more over aggressively on the outside. So in your opinion, Andre, playing back in your day, man it was just bully ball on both sides of the football how has that game changed from then
3: till now yeah it's uh it's changed tremendously over probably the last 20-25 years and the way the game's being played it's so uh such an analytic game now it's it's all about uh you know offensive scoring uh as far as receivers go you can't really do a lot of things anymore uh two receivers Um, guys are playing more timid than they ever, ever had in the last 20 years because of, you know, penalties being called, um, not only holding, but the hits. And when you played against guys like Ronnie Lott and Steve Atwater, these guys didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't prevalent back then. These guys came from, you know, 15 yards downhill and they, uh, they, they inflicted some serious pain on guys including myself so um, the game has changed a lot guys really have to think about not only how they tackle but you, you look at defensive coordinators and a lot of times a defensive coordinator they game plan you know for a certain guy or a certain kind of whatever they do during the week um, they have to um, they have to take that into consideration Andre what makes an effective
0: wide receiver at the next level? Obviously there's all kinds of different body types. You got big physical receivers, you got smaller slot guys that can get good releases at the line of scrimmage. But as you see back when you played, what do you think the major difference is in the training that these new school wide receivers are getting?
3: Um, there's a lot of differences, Isaac. I think, um, You know, a lot of times uh, you're, you go out there and you just you run routes and you try to find open spots. And that's still the, the case. But when you bring all these other guys into it, um, sometimes they go empty backfield. Sometimes there's there's five, six guys in a pattern. Um, look at the tight ends. The tight ends now are catching 100 balls a year. So uh, the defense has got their work cut out for them and they have to match up. And basically it's a chess game. You try to. Try to, uh, you know, get matchups that favor you on both sides of the ball. And then again, you try to get mismatches too by moving formations, moving guys around. Um, it's still blocking, tackling, throwing, running, kicking. It's still all that. But it's, it's such a different game now because the physicality isn't like it used to be. And, and if you talk to many guys, they think a lot of the guys are softer than they used to be. Um, and, um, you know, it's all about scoring. It's a, it's an entertainment. And, um, it's always been like that. So, um, you know, in my day, it still was about that, but it was a little more, it's it a lot more different back then. The running game was really a part of the, uh, of, of the game. And, uh, it still is a part of the game now, but you know, more guys. There's, there's, let's see, when I came in, uh, 10 guys, maybe five to 10 guys caught 100 balls, maybe. Now there's, you know, 15 to 20 guys that catch 100 balls now. So um, the game has changed more of of a passing league than it has been. And, um, you know, more points are being scored. And and it's evident, you know, the first four weeks of the season. Uh, And that's what what the fans want. And even though there's no fans in the stadium, but um, that's what gets them watching the games
0: exactly and i want to talk a little bit more specifically about your career taking it back to when you entered the league you were a fourth round pick in the 1985 nfl draft out of cootstown which yeah Yeah, which many people including myself really aren't familiar with that d2 football program in pennsylvania so talk about your alma mater
3: well um yeah, it could sound such a big school. No, it's not a big school. It's But if you look at the league now, there's a lot of small school D2 players that are really important to their football teams in the league uh, nowadays. Um, when I came in in 1985, um, you didn't see that many Division two, II, Division III uh, players in the league. And I'm not saying that I was a catalyst for that, but, um, you know, a uh, uh, – a great friend of mine, Jerry Rice, who was a one double A, went to a one double A school in Mississippi Valley State. Um, you know, Jerry's probably the greatest receiver, maybe the greatest player to ever play a game. That's arguably the greatest player. Um, you know, he didn't go to a Notre Dame or Michigan or USC or a Clemson, um, an LSU. He went to Mississippi Valley State. So um, I figured coming out of Cooktown, which is a school of maybe 5,000 people at the time, 5,000 students, um, 40 minutes from my house, 45 minutes from my house, you know, that was uh, the right place for me. And, you know, I was noticed uh, because of that um, and played, you know, came from, was a high school quarterback, switched to receiver uh, in college. And again, you see a lot of guys like that, like Julian Edelman, played high school football, played college football as a quarterback. And he's one of the best receivers in the game. So it uh, it's it's kind of different. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, where you go, where you come from. If you get a shot and, and you make the best of it, um, you can make an impact in the league. And all those guys from those kind of schools have made an impact uh, in the NFL.
0: Andre, what went into that transition from quarterback to wide
3: receiver? Well, I, I always, you know, one thing I did and I was very uh, confident about was having the ball in my hands. You know, every time, you know, quarterback, you got the ball, you're the first one that touches it besides the the center. And they realized I can run with the ball when I was in high school. And I got to college and the offensive coordinator, you know, came to me and said, uh, as a freshman, would you would you like to play receiver? And I said, well, you know, I played receiver – at the park with all my buddies and my brothers and you know you're you're every position when you play at the park so i was like yeah as long as i could play and i think handling the ball and doing all that kind of thing and running uh really was um you know the foundation of what kind of receiver i became so that was uh that was probably the best move that happened to me um you know in my career i could have stayed there and Tried to play quarterback. Uh, they had an all-American quarterback there at the time, and um, the all-American quarterback ended up throwing the ball to me. So that was that was pretty good. So
0: then you moved on to the NFL. You played fifteen consecutive seasons for the Bills, during which you played in four Super Bowls, and during that span, a seven-time Pro Bowler, two-time Second Team All-Pro. So Andre, talk to me about those experiences.
3: Yeah. As a kid, you, you know, as a pop Warner kid, when I started playing at seven years old, you, you dreamed about to a certain point playing in the the national football league. You wanted to be an NFL player. Every kid that plays pop Warner to a certain point wants to play in the NFL. And, uh, you know, that was my dream. And I really didn't realize that, that dream until my junior year in college. Um, and it was uh, there was a lot of people that were a part of that, you know, important in my football journey. So I have a lot of people to thank for uh, for that. Uh, but again, you had to do the work to get better every year, uh, to get better. You know, every time you stepped out on the field and switching positions, um, I had to make adjustments to to playing receiver. And I had a lot of great mentors around me, other players. uh when I got to the league that really saw a talent in me and coaches that they developed that talent and they wanted me to be better. And um, you know, I uh, you know, had the gifts and it was about, you know, taking those gifts on the field and, and making them work. And and that was really important to me, all the people, you know, over those years that helped me uh you know become the player that I became. And talking
0: about getting to the Super Bowl four times you, yeah. re- you recorded 27 receptions, which the second most total career Super Bowl receptions in NFL history behind Jerry Rice's 33. You've put up some big-time performances. What is it like, man, playing on the biggest stage of football? And I know you just talked about your experience growing up being in the NFL. But when you're playing in the Super Bowl, what yeah. was going through your mind?
3: Um, that was a, a dream come true. And you get to that level and that's what you want to do you want to play in a super bowl you want to win and we went to four consecutive super bowls something that will never i think happen ever again the patriots last year had a chance to do it but uh the titans beat them in in the playoffs so that is that just goes to show you the the uh level of uh not only respect but the level of of just being there four times uh It was an amazing run. Um, I played with some amazing players. Um, Four other, uh, seven other Hall of Famers were on that team uh, that I played on. So I was in the right place at the right time. And people say, yeah, you went to four, but you didn't win, which that is true. But I was somewhere that a lot of kids love to be. And um, I don't think that I was a failure because I didn't win a Super Bowl. Yes, it would have been nice, but, you know, God just didn't make it that way. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate to do that. And my career um, doesn't take a backseat because I didn't win a Super Bowl. Um, It would have been great to do that again, but it didn't happen. But I would never take that back because the players that I played with were some of my some of the greatest to me, the greatest players and some of the greatest friends I ever had. And uh, it was all meant to be that way.
0: One game that I want to ask you about is the big time game known as the comeback, which was in January 3rd, 1993 playoff victory over the Houston Oilers. And you yep. finished the game with eight receptions, a buck 36 and three touchdowns shed some mm-hmm. light on that magnificent performance.
3: Well, I, it didn't, that didn't happen. That game never would have happened if, uh, During that season, we didn't win the games we had to to get to that point. Um, The the week before that game, uh, we played Houston the week before that game in Houston and got beat pretty good. We got beat 28-3. to So we ended up playing them in a wild card game the next week in Buffalo. So we had that on our side. We had, oh, yeah, we're going to play in front of our home crowd. But we came out that game flat, you know, flatter than a pancake. We were so flat because – for whatever reason. And it just goes to show you the, the fight, uh, the resiliency, um, all the things that you want to say about that team uh, were evident in that game. And you said, as it's known as the comeback um, down 28 to three coming into the third quarter and Houston had the ball. Actually, we had the ball. So if you were in our locker room, you wouldn't be able. You probably couldn't hear a pin drop on the floor. That's how quiet it was. Uh, in front of our home crowd, you know, eighty thousand fans were there uh, cheering for us, and we were losing at halftime, twenty-eight to three. So, how do you come out and, you know, kind of not only save face, but but think that you know what we have to do something to make ourselves feel good, and. We came out there and they—they they, we had the ball. We threw an interception, and it was thirty-five to three. So it seemed like the wheels are falling off. Um, the season was over. Everybody counted us out. People in the stands were leaving. Uh, we were—we were not playing good, and we really had to muster something up and start making plays to turn this thing around. And we started getting momentum. We made a couple of plays, and Houston, to a certain point started resting on yeah this game's over you know they're not going to come back uh and we were like well we're at home this could be done and I think that was the mindset we had that if we start to get something going and get the crowd back in in it with us that you know we have a chance to 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 make history and we did and it was uh it was a game I never will forget I think uh in my Hall of Fame career I've had some great games but You know, that game stands as probably at the pinnacle uh, of not only statistically, but just how that game turned out with the odds that were against us.
0: How big of a factor was Marv Levy in that comeback?
3: Well, Jim Kelly didn't play because he got hurt the day the week before. So he hurt his knee. And a a teammate of mine that was in my draft class, Frank Reich, who's now the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, um, two years, three years ago, won a Super Bowl with the with the Eagles there in Philadelphia. Um, he came in as a backup quarterback to me, probably one of the greatest backup quarterbacks that ever play, because. Not only was he a great quarterback, but he was a student of the game and being behind Jim. Um, he was taught a lot about defenses, how to attack defenses, um, using your personnel in the right right context at the right time. Um, And he did that as a quarterback coach uh, with Philadelphia. And now um, as a head coach with the Indianapolis Colts and our, our head coach, Marv Levy was one of these guys that just Marv was the guy that you wanted in that situation because he didn't say a lot. He can't, he, he, he was not the kind of coach that said a lot. Other than, you know, hey, we're not playing well. We got we to gotta start playing better. And I think we all rallied around Mark because he spoke softly but carried a big stick. And I think, uh, you know, all, our, all my teammates, we rallied behind ourselves. We rallied behind each other, behind our coaches because um, they believed in us. And, you know, once you start believing in your coach and believing in your teammates that anything is possible. And that uh, that game was probably uh, a cornerstone, not only in my career but in the Bills franchise. Um, it will go down as the number one game of all time in Buffalo Bills history.
0: And speaking of the Bills history, Andre. They have what they call Bill's Mafia, and it looks like those guys and those people are absolutely crazy, obviously, this year with no fans due to COVID, but every other year you watch the Buffalo Bills at home, those fans are absolutely rowdy. They're inspiring the team. What can you say about that fan base?
3: Well, when I came in Buffalo, there was no such thing as, as Bill's Mafia. And as the years went on, you know, Buffalo always had a great fan base, Uh, there's 80,000 fans there, no matter what the weather is. I mean, there's, there's been some games I played in below zero, um, and there's 80,000 fans at that game. So Bill's mafia and the fans in Buffalo to me are the greatest fans in sports because they, they're not only a good fan base, they travel with the team. And as you alluded there, um, they go everywhere. If there was a game on the top of Mount Everest, Bill's fans would be up there, uh, (laughs) watching, watching their team. And uh, very, very instrumental in our success uh, over the years. And you said now uh, with, with the COVID uh, the pandemic going on, there's, there's no fans at the games. Um, they're still there. And, and the team knows that they have the Bills fan, Bills Mafia, they're backing them. Um, and our team right now is 4-0. They just won yesterday uh, uh, against the Raiders in Vegas. And they're playing well. They're playing together, inspired football. And, um, what better, no better fan base to have behind you than, than the Bills fan and Bills mafia.
0: As a wide receiver, who were some of the toughest corners that you faced during your playing career that you looked at that matchup and you said, man, this is going to be fun?
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, I played against a lot of Hall of Fame defensive backs. Um, Rod Woodson, I think, was probably the most complete defensive back I ever played against.
2: Um,
3: Uh, Daryl green was the most sound. Um, all of them were fast. All of them had great technique and all of them made you do your homework when you knew you had to play them. Um, you know, I was, when I came into the game, it was, those guys were going to follow me everywhere I went because it was the best on the best at the time. And I had to be on my game to, uh, to beat them and they want a lot. I want a lot, but it was always great to play against guys of that caliber because you had to be the best on that day to beat them and vice versa. So it was always a, always a battle and those guys are in the hall of fame because they were great players and they are great people off the field too. Um, They do great things in their communities. Uh, Dion just got the head coaching job at Jackson state. He's a great motivator of talent. He's a great motivator of of, uh, of kids, uh, not only on a football field, but off the field. Um, Daryl green does the same thing. Uh, Woodson does the same thing. So they use their platform as a player and how good they were as a player to inspire kids to be great players and great people too. And, uh, that's just a, um, you know, that's a credit to them as people.
0: That's certainly something great to hear. I mean, it's always a a good thing when you hear that players such as yourself and, icons who are looked up upon many people so that's great to hear the good work that you all continue to do for the communities giving back after such a successful career Andre but yep. you you mentioned the Pro Football Hall of Fame which clearly you are a member of that elite group of football coaches executives players mm-hmm. in 2014 is when you were selected to the right. Pro Football Hall of Fame man so Talk to me about that, Andre. I mean, I'm not sure words can express your emotions when you yeah. found the news. But just give it to me. What was that moment like for you? Uh,
3: very stoic. I think um, uh, I was up for the Hall of Fame for nine years, and, and a lot of times, uh, you know, it takes it's a lot of guys. It takes longer than nine. There's been guys that got it selected, and they've been on the ballot for 15 years, 16 years. And then you got your first ballot Hall of Fames. like the three guys I mentioned were all first ballot. Um, that's a great ex- distinction. But what I tell people is, you know, the first ballot Hall of Fame famers are all in the same room with the guys that took longer. So they they aren't in a different area of the Hall of Fame because they were first ballot Hall of Famers. Uh, we all have a gold jacket. Um, we all have a, a Hall of Fame ring of excellence. We all have a bust that is going to be in Canton for 40,000 years. It's made of bronze. Uh, We all have um, all these accolades uh, that we did on the field. But the Hall of Fame is the pinnacle uh, of our sport. And I talk to a lot of different players, uh, not only about what they're doing on the field and what they're doing off the field, but they want to be Hall of Famers. And they want to win Super Bowls. That's kind of the... uh, the whole big shebang about being a professional football player. Um, and I represent only 181 living guys on the planet that get that distinction. Um, 338 guys get the distinction of being a hall of famer, uh, being at the top of their game uh, of of the pinnacle of their sport. But there's only 181 living now. And there's been 30,000 players, executives, coaches, Contributors that have played this game since 1920. So it is a fraternity that's pretty, pretty tough to get in. Um, any Hall of Fame that you get in is an accomplishment because somebody believed that you were the best at what you did. And as a 17-year-old kid in high school, I never thought that one day if somebody said, hey, write down a thing that you, you think that you want to attain in your life, and let's see if, uh, you know, this will happen. And I never thought one day I would be a pro football Hall of Famer as a 17-year-old kid. Um, you know, my dad and mom taught me uh, that, you know, life is uh, is about working hard. And whatever you do, you, you always uh, put your best foot forward. And you always want to know that that day that you did the best you could that day. And that you can't, you won't look back and say, well, I kind of, went at it kind of mediocrely. Um, All the guys in a Pro Football Hall of Fame never faced a game, a season, um, mediocrely. They they wanted it to be the best. And that's really what the Hall of Fame stands for. It stands for excellence. It stands for integrity. It stands for honesty. um, It stands for all that stuff. And, uh, you know, the motto of the Hall of Fame is honor the heroes of the game um, promote its values, uh, preserve its history, and celebrate excellence everywhere. And that's uh, that's what I try to do every single day as a member. And um, all the guys. Every year, I go to the Super Bowl and get to see all the gold jackets together. Um, to be in a room with a hundred gold jackets, Jim Brown, and and you know Jerry and uh, Brett Favre, and I can go on and on. Of all the guys that are Hall of Famers, but for me to be in that room with them, um, it still kind of gives me chills because even though I thought it should have happened, to me, it's uh it's pretty surreal uh, to be with those guys and to be in a room with those guys and talk about you know our careers and talk about what we're doing, talk about our kids, and how we can impact the world uh, as Hall of Famers. Wow, that's an
0: incredible insight right there, Andre. And there's enshrinement ceremonies for each class. And when you go up and and you're presented, you have your bus there and you give your speech. Yep. How did you even begin to get that speech together, man? Knowing all the people that were influential in your life and your successes, how was that moment so special but also very
3: emotional for you yes. as you gave that speech? Um, you, you go through life and there's one, two, three, maybe 15 people that have touched your life, maybe even more. Um, and to forget somebody that really touched your life, uh, in a speech that was at the time, uh, you had 20, 25 minutes to talk about everybody, everything that touched your life to that point that made you a hall of famer. And uh, very emotional. Um, your family is so important to you. Um, your coaches are so important to you. Your teammates are so important to you. Um, that, uh, that's pretty emotional to talk about because they had a lot to do with everything uh, you did in your life up to that point And standing on that podium and talking um, in front of thousands of people watching and in front of millions that are watching on, uh, on TV. And, uh, that was a point where it definitely didn't want to forget anybody, but pretty emotional and, you know, at points I wanted to cry about it, but I kind of held it together and, uh, just to watch that, uh, just to go back and watch my speech. Sometimes I'll sit here by myself and put that speech on and, When you watch it, when I watch it now, I see how emotional it was. Um, As you're doing it, it's emotional, but to watch yourself, um, you see how important it was to you, your family, um, all the people that impacted you, that got you there. And you talk
0: about being a positive influence for all those around you. You talked about the Hall of Fame, standing for that, coming together, providing positive resources to make communities a better place And so, as you being in that prestigious group, Andre, what is your message to all the players out there that are pursuing an NFL career, or maybe they're just in sports or day-to-day lifestyle? What do they need to hear from you to keep plugging through the challenges and ultimately achieve what they want to do?
3: Well, I I don't know if anybody you know out there saw Forrest Gump, and he said life is like a box of chocolates. You know, you 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 just you you open a box and you put your hand in there and you just don't know which chocolate you're gonna get. There's different things and different pieces of chocolate, and that was that's really to put in perspective, um, you know what that journey is about. It's it's like a piece of chocolate that we you know it's chocolate but you don't know what the filling is, and it's up to you to find out what the filling is and. You know, the feeling for me was all the people that were involved in that chocolate for me. Um, And every Hall of Famer um, has a different piece of chocolate. And, uh, you know, you're inspired by other people. Other people have said something to you that, you know, said something to you that inspired you, that made you think differently. And I had a lot of people like that. And uh, we'd be here all day if I had to go back and talk (laughs) to all the people that said something to me that encouraged me to maybe go a different direction and have a different thought. Um, And that's what I try to tell youngsters. And, you know, the boys and girls club of America was very important and instrumental in my life and set the foundation for me uh, to build those bricks and to build that house uh, to, uh, to walk in and be proud of. And whatever you're going through in your life, um, make sure you just put one step in front of the other and never look back uh, unless it's a good positive thing that you can go back to. Um, we all go through negative times in our life um, that aren't um, always going to encourage us to do the right thing. But if, if you keep going forward and you keep working at it, there's there's going to be something at the end of that road that's going to be all worth it. And I always tell kids when I'm speaking to them, especially Boys and Girls Club kids and kids in sports that, you know, people want to climb hills and they want to climb mountains, but there's a lot of people that don't want to take, do the work to do it. They want to stand on the top, but don't realize what it takes to get to the top. And then once they're up there, they'll find out how many people are up there on the top of that mountain, because those are the people that were willing to do everything they could to get up there. And and the, the hard work and the the perseverance and the resiliency that kind of stands on the top of that mountain because anybody could jump in a a car and get up there and that's not that tough, but it's the people at the bottom that have to go through so many different phases in their life to get there. Uh, Regardless if it's sports or, or your work or whatever um, you're satisfied once you get up there because you knew how hard it took to get up there. And and I tell them kids, all of them. It, it's hard to get up there, but are you willing to do what it takes to get up there? And um, that's uh, that stood the test of time for me because a lot of things didn't go my way, but I had people that encouraged me to not, you know. Doesn't matter. You're gonna be satisfied once you get up there, that you know you did what it takes to get there.
0: Thanks for sharing that motivational piece. I mean, I think that's something we all need to hear, including myself, is to continue pushing. And and really, you got to put the work in to get the results that you want. That's something that you clearly have achieved in football, and now as you're in your post-NFL career helping out others. But Andre, yeah. before we end this interview, the 2020 Bills, 4-0, unbeaten, What's your projection for them? I know Kansas City is the defending Super Bowl champs in the AFC. Do you think they can contend with them?
3: I, I think so. I think so. I think uh, you know a big. Uh, I, I think what the Bills have done the last four years, um, you know, with uh, getting a new coach and 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 Sean McDermott getting the right uh, ma- uh, general manager to pull the trigger on a lot of different uh, uh, moves they had to make. Uh, I think Josh Allen, they got uh, uh, three, four years ago now. He's in his third year. He has taken a step forward uh, in his third year. And a lot of young quarterbacks, there is kind of a thing that third or fourth year is when you need to take that next step. I think he has the first four games. Um, he's not making the mistakes. Uh, these first four games he made probably a year or two ago. Uh, and, and the team believes in him. And guys are starting to rally around him and make make plays. Um, they picked up Stephon Diggs in, in free agency, which is a big plus. He's he's already paying big dividends in the first four games, and I think he will all year. And guys are taking turns making plays uh, instead of saying, all right, this guy's got to make the play. Um, he's he's the guy that needs to make the play every game. So taking turns making plays is only going to make the team better. Um, defensively, they're playing well. Um, I, I think they're on the right track. Um they, they go to Tennessee this week, which is, you know, it, it, going on the road is always hard to do, even though there's no fans. Um, defensively, they got to deal with Derrick Henry, who's a beast. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then in two weeks from now, they get the uh, they get the powerhouse chiefs coming in to Buffalo on a Thursday night game. So these last next two weeks are going to be very tough for them. And, um, you know, they can shock the world, if you want to call it that, by, you know, winning next week in Tennessee would be great to get momentum uh, for that Thursday night game against, uh, against uh, Kansas City. Yes, indeed. They are a
0: really good team every single week. And you talked about Allen. He continues to progress as well as that defense that play with such physicality led by Tradavius White, one of the best corners in the NFL. So they're a fun yes. team to watch, man. And- fun team. I'm sure you saw it too, but Josh Norman brought a little bit of that spark. I love it, Josh. You know,
3: you know, Josh when he was with uh, and, and got to meet him, and and a, a thing about people don't realize is Josh is a big community guy. Uh, he was like that in Carolina when he was there with the Panthers. Uh, when he played with the Redskins, he he was part of the community, and uh, he's a big part of the community in Buffalo right now. So um, just good to see him on the field, bring that veteran leadership. Uh, to that defensive backfield again, you mentioned Jadavious White, uh, Micah Hyde, and and uh, uh, Jordan Poyer really don't get the credit they deserve as a tandem. I think they're top five tandem uh, safeties in the league. Um, great uh, playing together, very good leadership there. So uh, um, good to see Josh out there, and um, you know we're going to need him the next two weeks, especially uh, with uh, Kansas City's, you know three three-headed monster and Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill, uh, Nicole Hardman and Travis Kelsey. So, and then Mahomes, I mean, they're, you know, the, to me, the best tandem, best trio in the league uh, right now. So they need veteran leadership there. And I think, you know, having Josh out there as a veteran is only going to bode well for them when that game comes up in two weeks.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a good one to watch. Must-see TV, Chiefs, and Bills. Again, Andre, thank you so much, man, for taking the time, sharing about your career, about the Hall of Fame, and the comeback. And, and what you're doing off the field as well is, is incredible. And keep up that great work, man. It was a pleasure chatting with you today.
3: Awesome, awesome. And, and again, with the with my foundation, we have uh, a reading program that inspires kids through the Boys and Girls Clubs of America to uh, To read books to get to because knowledge is power, and uh, we take kids to uh, to football games. Uh, again, this year it's been tough to do that because of, of COVID. But in the past four or five years, we've we've rewarded kids of, of reading books and taking them to to games and being on the sideline and meeting their favorite players and getting that experience of of being at a game and, and having the VIP experience. And it's been such a good thing uh, to inspire these kids, how important reading is not only in sports, but in everything, you know, you couldn't do what you do without being able to read. And uh, statistics show that, um, you know, if you can't read at a third grade level by a certain age, uh, there's a lot of things that could happen uh, to a young kid that could be lost because of that. So it's important. It's important to me. It's important in my foundation that we get these kids going in the right direction to be successful in anything they want to do. And uh, I'm glad to be a part of it and it's my platform and that's uh, what I'm doing.
0: And Andre, since you brought that up, how can we help out with that foundation?
3: Well, you can go to my social media, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Um, I do a lot of things on TikTok of, of a lot of different events I go to inspiring kids through the, the boys and girls club and just follow me, go to, www.andrewreedfoundation.org. Uh, we have different events that we do. Uh, we we uh, always encourage people to donate uh, to the foundation uh, in different things uh, to uh, help out the kids and and keep them going um, to be again the best that they want to be whatever they want to do.
0: That's awesome. Well, I'll definitely have to go check that out as well. All the listeners you're tuned in right now, go check that out. Help is foundation. We are meant to make each other better and helping out as much as we can. So, Andre, it was a pleasure. Thanks for your time.
3: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. You're doing a great job. And um, I'm sure everybody that listens to this, um, just your platform, is, uh, is very inspiring, man. So keep doing what you're doing.
0: Yes, sir. Appreciate that. Take care and God bless. You got it. God bless you.